Welcome to another exciting episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. And today we're delving deep into a topic that's reshaping the landscape of the defense industry, digital transformation in defense manufacturing. We're going to explore how digitalization is not just changing the game, it's revolutionizing it. The defense manufacturing sector is, is undergoing a remarkable shift embracing cutting-edge technologies and redefining supply chain operations. Imagine a world where real-time data analytics, 3D printing, AI-driven logistics, and blockchain-powered traceability are the norm in defense manufacturing. It's not science fiction, it's happening right now. Digital transformation isn't just a buzzword. It's a necessity for staying competitive, efficient, and secure in today's defense market. So whether you're a defense contractor seeking innovative ways to optimize your supply chain or simply intrigued by the incredible advancements in defense manufacturing, this episode is packed with valuable information you won't want to miss. Let's hit it. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMMC professional assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. Good to see you again. So, Mike, today we're talking about supply chain. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but today we talk about the digital revolution of the supply chain. So with that in mind, what are the key drivers behind the digital transformation in, in defense manufacturing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. You know, I think that there are a lot of changes that are coming through uh, when it comes to how businesses are operating. Obviously, AI is uh, a really big topic in this area. And, you know, AI is leading to a lot of digital transformation. Um, but more than that, we are beginning to really see a lot more manufacturers go from manual processes and manual sort of job tracking, if you will, uh, continuing to increase the adoption and dependence upon MRP and ERP systems. Um, again, if, if you've been running with an MRP or ERP system for years, uh, you know, I, I think you're probably fairly familiar with those solutions. But for those, you know, people in the, in the defense manufacturing industry who have not really become familiar with what an MRP or an ERP system is, it is essentially a life cycle system. So from the time that order comes in and is won from the sales team to the time it's shipped out, and materials are disposed of, all of that winds up being tracked at every step in an MRP or an ERP system. Um, and again, the goal is just to be able to track and account for resources as the projects are going through, which obviously helps with accounting and financials uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, the big change that I really see is that MRP and ERP systems used to really be pretty tough to implement for smaller defense manufacturers. However, these days, I think that, you know, there's a lot going on with these systems that make them accessible to the smaller manufacturer. And so I think we're going to see smaller manufacturers being able to sort of fight above their weight using these systems. Um, you know, and I think that it, it also creates a real challenge for information security and compliance. So another really big challenge that we have is now that, you know, the smaller manufacturers or, or even the larger manufacturers are you know, getting this, this technology more and more embedded at every single step. Another great example is this year, I can't count the number of manufacturers we went to who said, I'm putting more computers on the work floor or the production floor. Uh, you know, we used to have one or two job clocks. Now we're having like 20 and 30 job clocks, uh, one for each employee, you know, that kind of thing. What, they're, what we're seeing is, is that uh, as they increase the footprint of technology, they also increase the footprint of risk. 
And so as a result, there's just more to secure. Uh, and obviously, uh, uh, you know, compliance gets a little bit more complex because they're required to secure that based on NIST SBA 10171 and the other DFARS laws and things like that. So, um, you know, again, great that we're using more technology. Great that we're being more efficient. Um, but I think there's an increased emphasis on the need to spend some money on security. It's really kind of straightforward. And the government has laid that out in their plans. Uh, and they've emphasized that, yes, you know, defense contractors are going to have to do this. So I see that as a really big change. The AI stuff, you know, I'm not really going to talk a, a whole ton about that because I think AI right now is something that I'm going to call it encapsulated, right? So I think the AI and, and how it affects jobs and manufacturing right now is encapsulated and based on what kind of industry you're in. For instance, a lot of the quality jobs are going to become more efficient because AI will help them to spot errors in work product. Um, they'll allow them to do quality assurance checks much, much faster than ever before. But that's really, really limited to the quality assurance job. And, and I think with AI, every single job can interface with AI in a different way. And yet at the same time, some jobs just can't. So for instance, um, you know, you've got welding, right? Welding is a very basic kind of thing that's used in a lot of metal manufacturing uh, to weld parts together and create end products. You know, I don't know that AI is really going to enter you know, welding uh, very rapidly. I think that ultimately we're still on the old school way of manufacturing with things like G-code and things like, um, you know, just manually programming all of the movements of that machine. So I don't know that it'll be super effective, but in any case, all of this really ultimately leads for our audience to a higher impact when there's an information security problem as well. So this is this is definitely a really core concept, which is, the more and more your company is reliant upon technology, the more and more reliant it needs to get on securing that technology and the more important that really needs to be. So um, anyway, I think that's a pretty good top level summary, but uh, lots and lots of ways it's being impacted. Um, and all of it points to the, the footprint of technology getting bigger and uh, the need for information security to stay safe getting larger. Absolutely. That is that is some great, great information about about digital transformation. And when you think about these kind of things, when you think about blockchain, when you think about AI, when you think about digital advancements, the one thing that's always intrigued me uh, more than probably anything else is the idea of 3D printing. And uh, 3D printing is is one of the major additions to the manufacturing process in recent years. So with that in mind, how how has the adoption of 3D printing and additive manufacturing impacted traditional manufacturing processes in, in the defense sector? Man, that's that's a really terrific question. Um, you know, interestingly, I just want to talk about the definition of additive manufacturing because I think there is a term that is used, almost overused, which is additive manufacturing. A lot of people don't actually know what it means. Additive manufacturing means when you are manufacturing something by adding material to it. So when you actually watch what is 3D printing, you know, you sort of start with nothing <clears throat> and they're typically melting plastic or metal to add material to what the end product is, as opposed to taking various materials like metal and bonding them together to create an end product. So um, a lot of people don't know that that's what this whole additive manufacturing thing is. And additive manufacturing is sort of uh, intertwined with, um, 
you know, 3D printing and things like that, because that's how 3D printing works. Again, you look at the typical child's toy uh, that's a 3D printer, and you've got a 3D printer, you've got a tube of plastic, uh, the machine melts the plastic, spits it out through kind of a needle-like interface onto whatever it is that it's manufacturing, thus adding material to it. So um, with that in mind, um, we are definitely seeing an increase in the number of 3D printers that are in manufacturing facilities. Um, I think one thing with 3D printers is they all use kind of the equivalent of G-code in CNC machines. That's considered to be CUI, it's, it's code. Uh, and so that, you know, that has to be protected. A lot, another thing is 3D printers connect to networks. Um, it's really wild. You almost can't run one with, you know, you can't run an industrial 3D printer without a computer hooked up to it. That computer then needs to be, uh, you know, secured. The worst case scenario for the U.S. Department of Defense is that someone loads up how to make a part and then somebody hacks that computer and they can literally just copy and paste the entire plan to manufacture that part. So um, it's, it's very real. The risks are even bigger. It used to be that you'd have to have some sort of engineering know-how and assembly know-how. Um, boy, that's really going away with additive manufacturing. Additive manufacturing is more or less spitting out whole parts and whole assemblies all in one shot. So it's, it's really, really cool. Now, do I see widespread adoption of this? The answer is actually no. I see that manufacturers are buying them to play with. They're buying them to experiment. They may be buying them for net new single usage instances. I do not really see additive manufacturing being the big major massive impact that we thought it would be. Um, you know, I think that's one difference between additive manufacturing and AI is, you know, I view AI as something that has really changed the game in terms of virtually every job position out there, just the sheer ability to ask a question and get back an intelligent answer greatly shortens the distance between coming upon a problem and coming upon a solution. It's really revolutionary. Uh, 3D printing probably should be that revolutionary, but we're just not seeing it. Um, what I will say is there are some industries that really have major potential to be disrupted. The auto industry is one of them. We are seeing one or two car manufacturers who have tried additive manufacturing in the production of an entire car. You know, I suspect part of this is a slowness to change. I think additive manufacturing is really cool. It's a, it's a really neat way to assemble things. Um, but, you know, those companies who are using additive manufacturing right now are still in the startup phase. So that tells me that additive manufacturing is really not there where it needs to be when it comes to bulk production or mass production. And, and again, not being hyper-educated on the subject, but, but having talked with a lot of our clients who are in manufacturing and, you know, who've bought these machines, but clearly they've only bought one or two of them, uh, that seems to really be the holdup is that it takes a very long time to print a part. And um, I suspect that will be solved in the next five to 10 years. I think that the speed will increase. Uh, but if you think about what additive manufacturing really is, you're taking a solid, you're melting it down, right? So you're taking a tube of raw plastic, you're melting it down, and then you've got to wait for it to cool after it's been put into its new form. It just takes time for those substances to heat up and cool down, uh, where you can take a whole sheet of metal, bend it very quickly, and then, you know, weld it to another piece of metal. And so I think that the overall speed to finish product winds up being faster. Now, where I do think that this will change is I think eventually they will get the technology to start chaining these, these 3D printers together. I just haven't seen it on a production floor yet with one of our clients. Um, I really haven't seen it much at all, but the idea would be 
look, get 50 printers, and then you get one computer that controls them, and then you send 50x of a job out, you know, through one computer to these 3D printers. I just haven't seen that technology quite yet, so it tells me it's still a little bit immature for adoption. Absolutely, that's a that that's a great point, and thanks for clarifying the actual definition of additive manufacturing for those who who may not have known, because I I'm one of those people, because uh, I wrote the question. <laughs> um, when we think about digital manufacturing and advancement, we think we we automatically kind of think about larger companies who who may benefit from more resources and one of your favorite terms to use in a YouTube video, higher profit margins. So. How can small and medium-sized defense manufacturers compete with larger players by embracing digital transformation? Well, it's a phenomenal question. And I love the question. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. I think it will be very difficult in this area for small defense manufacturers to compete. Simply put, the big companies have got larger pockets and they can afford more efficiencies at scale. But here's the good news. I do not think that's the place where small businesses should try to compete. I think small businesses are innovative by nature of the fact that they are surviving. In other words, if you're not pretty innovative already in how you're doing things, your business isn't going to survive. When you've got a really massive proven you know, product or capability, and then you go out and get a really massive client base, uh, you, know, you land those big defense contracts, et cetera, you know, then at that point, you can really dive in, hone in, and figure out what the most efficient way is to do things. Okay, cool. No problem at all. Uh, but for, for companies who are still kind of in that small to mid-size or they, they just haven't been around a whole lot, I think that there are other areas where, where focus needs to be put besides the actual manufacturing process. And I get that's kind of what today's all about. I just want to be realistic. One, you know, I think that smaller businesses can change faster and move quicker towards opportunity. So if I'm a small to mid-sized business, as a matter of fact, we're helping one of our clients with this right now. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, this client you know, was is doing something for the commercial market, and it turns out that the DOD has this need in the defense market. And we said, okay, cool. So you have this capability, and it translates to defense work. This is fantastic. Now, let's take you the next step. You happen to be minority-owned, Let's go get you an 8A certification so that you can get preference during the award process, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, you absolutely want to do that. And I think that is the type of leverage that a small business can easily go through, be nimble, have owners directly involved in the process to get 8A certified, have owners and, and a small sales force able to pivot and target some of these government opportunities that larger companies are just going to bypass. That, to me, is a really really great way to pursue growth. The other thing is, and this is one of my favorite things about defense, defense is a little bit like uh, like playing um, that that game with the ball and the three shells, right? You don't know which ball is under, you know, which shell the ball is under, and they're constantly moving. Uh, but then sometimes you pick up the shell and the ball is actually there. Sometimes you look at a, a defense contract, right? And the defense contract may be kind of looking for a new vendor to provide a service. And the second that you prove that you can provide that service, all of a sudden, the ball gets exposed and the ball is a $100 million project. Uh, we watched that happen with one of our clients in the past couple of weeks. You know, the government said, can you do this? Uh, can you make me a kilo of this compound? And they said, sure. And then, you know, they made, they made you know, like 10 kilos of the compound because, you know, frankly, it was just as easy to make 10 kilos as one kilo of it. They sent it over to the, to the, to the folks at the DOD. 
And uh, they came back and they said, okay, now we're talking. Let's uh, manufacture hundreds of millions of dollars worth of this thing. You know, and again, I can't say much because of NDAs and confidentiality. So I want to use very generic language. But that is one of the other really exciting things about working in defense is that sometimes you can go after a job that you have the capability for on a small scale. And when they find out that there's a competent vendor on the other end, they go, whoa, hang on a second. We can scale this up. This is a win for us. And that's exactly what they start doing. So, uh, you know, I think in that regard, it's one of my favorite things about, you know, doing defense contracting is you just never know when you're going to sort of lift up that shell and a really big green ball is going to be there uh, with a lot of opportunity that your company just may not have been exposed to before. And, and, you know, my favorite thing I have to share with you is just watching it transform owners and, and businesses because we get to watch when those hits come and they're big, uh, we get to watch the transformation of the company. It's really, really exciting. And it's, it's very, um, I think it's very satisfying to be a part of that. And, and of course, it's providing jobs and it's helping our country and all kinds of other stuff like that. It's really what I live for. So, uh, you know, I think in that regard, we've got a lot of experience in sort of showing our clients how to how to go pursue more defense work and and things like that. And I think it's one of the, my favorite parts of what we do. Again, I think sometimes when you're small, efficiency is not what you want to go after in manufacturing, at least. Sometimes when you're small, what you really want to go after is focused growth on your sales force, because for some strange reason, a lot of small to mid-sized manufacturers just get a job, get very high on the horse, and then they go six months in the job and forget the fact that this thing's going to end in 18 months. And oh my God, they got to figure out how their company's going to pay its bills 24 months on. And um, I just think that's a really big fundamental mistake that uh, can easily be overcome. It's something we really specialize in helping our clients with, uh, particularly in the defense manufacturing space. A lot of great information on this topic and, and a lot of information that we weren't fishing for that you provided uh, outside of the of the ba of the basic question itself that maybe we weren't aware of before. So thank you for that. And now it's time for our favorite portion of the podcast where we where we uh, sidestep the serious stuff for a minute and we 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 get a little silly. And I have to say, sometimes when coming up with these silly questions, I I I just shake my head. And and this is one of those days. Uh, we talked about <laughs> we talked about three D printing. Um, so if a robot army decided to throw a party, what kind of party favors would they make in a 3D printer? You got to think about that one for a minute. <laughs> it's a good question. Gosh, I don't know. Anything, anything plastic, right? Uh, yeah, anything plastic. Uh, I, I think that's the easiest stuff. They do have metal 3D printers. Um, they're, they're very expensive. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think there's very many party favors that you really couldn't, uh, couldn't make out. You can certainly, uh, make the party megaphone. You can make the plates and the knives and the forks. There's lots of good stuff that I think. Well, you, you know, I'd, I'd make an argument that, you know, it's a robot forgetting the fact that why is an army throwing a party? That just seems like a weird idea. It's like, if you're, if you have a robot army and you're, and you have the opportunity to use a 3d printer to, to hand out something, you, there's that old saying, speak, speak uh, softly and carry a big stick. Uh, so you could print a bunch of sticks and then that way your robot army is armed and then you're ready to go. But, <laughs> but right. that's just me. As long as the robot army is not coming for you. <laughs> yep. Exactly. As long as I'm, as long as I'm the one helping them with the sticks, they won't come after me. Uh, until the artificial intelligence gets them. Oh boy. Uh, 
But on that incredibly weird note, that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to extend our appreciation to Mike for, for joining us and providing us with valuable information on this crucial topic. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. But the conversation does not end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms so you always know when new episodes like this one are released. And we'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us next time as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.